Welcome to the Sacred Intersections podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed counselor, and I'm a counseling professor. So there are a lot of podcasts out there, and you have found your way here to us. You've landed with us, and we are so glad to have you with us. This is our very first episode. Yay! So you are here from the beginning, or you're going back and listening to it later. <laughs> in the beginning. But, but you're here with us, and we are truly just thrilled that you are choosing to spend some time with us and that you um, share our interest in these topics. So we thought for our first episode, it would make sense for you to hear a little bit about who your drivers are on this road of sacred intersections and why we decided to do a podcast and where we're coming from. I know when I listen to podcasts, I'm always curious about who the people are and how they got there. So we thought we would indulge ourselves a little bit and talk a little bit about ourselves this first episode and let you know maybe what to expect from this. So, um, so Jill, why don't you start us off? Tell us maybe a little bit about your religious background. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA, and uh, I get the awesome privilege of being a pastor of a congregation that I really love. Um, and I have been working in um, sort of the sacred arena, I guess, for um, like 18, 18 years now, which feels like a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've worked for churches. I've worked um, as a, in communities of faith. I've worked as a community organizer, all sort of connected to issues of faith. Um, being a pastor, it might be self-evident, but I feel like it's helpful to say I, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, I love all of the Abrahamic faiths. I love, um, I have Jewish blood that runs in my veins um, through... Um, my grandparents on my mother's side, and I um, have studied Islam, and I love learning the languages and reading um, the texts and just learning about um, the things that unite us um, with our siblings in God's family. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a person of faith, of a particular faith, but have a lot of interest in other things. So um, what about yeah. you, Paula? Tell us about you. Yeah, you know, just piggybacking on that part to start out with, that seems really important for us to be upfront about off the bat is that, you know, I do identify as a Christian, although I'm careful with that word because I know that label carries a lot of different meanings for people. But the way you said it is the way that I agree with the most, just a follower of Christ. And that I feel like we should be really clear about that with whoever's listening, because what I've found, and maybe I'm jumping the gun into some of our coming up questions, but, um, but it just, when I've talked about this topic, when I've talked about religious harm or religious abuse, it's been interesting to see people's reactions and some assumptions that I'm coming from a place of disparaging religion or that trying to say that all religion is bad. And so I feel like that's important for our listeners to know that we're coming from a place of loving, loving Christ and loving our church and loving what we believe it can be and what Christianity should be representing in the world. And, 
that we've seen the places where it doesn't. So that's definitely jumping the gun into some of our passion. Right. This. Um, but I do, I appreciate the, your clarity on that, that even though you're a pastor wanting to be really clear on what that means for you and. Yeah. I mean, sometimes Christians are the worst. <laughs> like, I hope we can get the audio drop in here that goes the worst. <laughs> that would be fabulous. But it there there you're so right. There's a lot that comes along with that term. And um and we both come from these um you know, we have we have a shared faith, uh but we also have um backgrounds that we bring to these conversations around um where mental health and religious faith or sacred spaces meet and how those mm -hmm. intersect. Um, so, so like what, when you think about your background, like what about your background sort of brought you to some of these intersections? Yeah. So to, to think back to what has shaped my faith. So I grew up in a very teeny tiny town in the mountains of North Carolina and went to a teeny tiny church that was literally right across the street from my home and was a wonderful experience, a small Baptist church. And whatever came up to your mind when you heard that term, I would challenge you to just sit with whether that was positive or negative, because for me, it was a wonderfully positive experience. It was truly a village that raised me, that was um, an extended family for me and my family. And um, was just a, a gift to, to have a very foundational, positive church experience. Um, now, of course, all of my identities are identities that are going to be affirmed in most churches. So, you know, that's, and we're going to get to that <laughs> down the road, but, but it makes sense that I would have had a positive experience there. I would, there wasn't anything obvious that would have created animosity towards me from any, I think any really faith tradition, but, um, but having grown up in that small area, one of the gifts that my parents have given me, especially my dad, who's an attorney, has always taught me to question everything. That's awesome. <laughs> it really is. It can be That's frustrating sometimes. It can be very frustrating for my husband when I'm questioning everything <laughs> along the way. But it definitely has been a gift. And so I've, I've always been taught that that healthy systems can be questioned, should be able to stand up to scrutiny and questions. And my parents always very lovingly welcomed my questions and answered them when they could and were honest when they couldn't. And what a gift. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> They're pretty cool. Um, you'll probably hear a lot more about them through our journey. Um, and I might get emotional when I go there. But so so having said that, skepticism can be a beautiful thing. And it can also be a very frustrating thing to be inside it. So I have had peaks and valleys in my faith. I've had many dark nights of the soul where I just wasn't sure that God existed or if God existed, that God cared about me or was involved in any way. Um, I had a quarter life crisis right out of college. <laughs> that was definitely part of that. But I just have found through all of those different times of deep skepticism and question, I've continued to be drawn back to, to faith and to something greater than myself and particularly Christianity, particularly Christ. Um, so having, and I've been really fortunate at different areas of my life to have been able to 
be in really healthy churches. Like I have not experienced personally what I would call religious abuse. And we're going to get into what that means and that definition and that kind of thing down the road. But, but so that's been interesting to me now where I am now. So we should also maybe share with them a little bit about how we know each other. (laughs) So Jill is my pastor. (laughs) And um, so having been in, in Baptist churches most of my life and been stayed out of the political realm. And I know that's for those of you with a Baptist background, you're going to go Baptist politics, permeate everything. How did you stay out of it? But I've, again, been drawn to and stayed in mostly healthy churches. Um, And when we moved to this area where we are now, it's a smaller area and we really weren't sure that we were going to find a place that, um, that had the radical hospitality that you preach so often, but we did. So Jill has been my pastor for I guess officially two years now, um, and it feels like so much longer. Doesn't it feel like like <laughs> even when I say that? I mean, I just want to naturally say ten. I love <laughs> yeah, that. I love that too. But you are just the kind of person that you know. You really, to be very cliche, really practice what you preach, and so that radical hospitality just creates an authenticity that makes it really easy to to get in there. I think and to. So, so as Jill mentioned, she's a Presbyterian minister. So I'm still learning what that means <laughs> and what that means kind of organizationally. Um, but so that's, that's probably a long version of a short version of my faith background. Sure. So what about this topic? So, you know, we, as you said in the beginning, we're here navigating those twisty roads of harmful theology, of mental health and religious abuse. So what what makes you want to want to be here talking about that particular topic? Yeah. Well, um, so you've said two of my favorite words already. Um, mm. So radical hospitality. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't um, mean to steal your thunder. No, it's totally okay. <laughs> it's totally okay. Um, Ed, you and um, plenty others here in our church family. Um, it's a rare Sunday that you don't hear it at least a couple of times in, in worship. Um, I, hospitality is a theological value to me. Um, and I feel like for me personally, a really big part of my calling, um, which I'm blessed that my calling and my vocation are the same thing. Mm, I, I get to do that. That is I rare. Um, but a big part of that is creating a hospitable place for people who have been hurt by the church. Mm. Um, I did not, we, we are, um, we are in North Carolina. Um, and I have not been a Southerner for most of my life. I actually grew up. Um, but you say y'all so well. I do. <laughs> I've learned, I've learned. I can, I've developed a twang with the best of them. Um, I actually grew up just outside of New York city. Um, I would never have known that about you. And, um, and spent, um, Spent 18 years in um, Bergen County, New Jersey, um, just on the other side of the George Washington Bridge, um, and then went to college in Michigan. Um, And so didn't really come, you know, south of the Mason-Dixon line until um, until I came to grad school in my very late 20s. So um, but when I got here in the South, one of the things that I noticed is that um, there's a church on every corner and <laughs> or, or two or three or two or three. <laughs> like there's a lot of religious communities and communities of faith. Um, and 
there, I think they call it the Bible belt for a reason because faith is so much more public and so much more a part of life in, in certain parts of the, of the country and in this area in particular. And, and or at least with, churches, sometimes faith, but at yes, least church. at least churches. And there is, I'm so glad you said that because there's a difference between religion and faith and like church sometimes is more about religion than it is about faith, Amen. which we'll talk about that too. <laughs> um, but um, I realized pretty early on serving in uh, like uh, parishes or like a traditional church um, churches can do a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, pretty early on in my call to ministry, I started to wonder the ways in which God was inviting me to practice this radical hospitality, particularly for folks that have been hurt mm. by the church. And I say the church with a big C, you'll hear, you'll hear that a lot because I'm not talking about like the first Baptist church or the St. Whomever's Catholic church. I'm talking about like all of the, the institution of the Christian church, um, I think has done a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. And so that being such a big part of my calling and my staunch belief in hospitality, I think a lot about the ways in which the church is harming the very thing that mm-hmm. it was intended to to love and save and build up and and do good things for. And so I think a lot about ways to help people who have been hurt by the church. And being the pastor of a church, it's sometimes really hard because if you've been hurt by the church a whole bunch, you're not going to come running into the doors. Even our sweet little church, which looks kind of funky. <laughs> um and beautiful. It's beautiful. And funky. <laughs> One of our members calls the inside of our says our the inside of our sanctuary feels a little bit like a hobbit hole, oh, which I, I think that. is kind of fun. Um, even for someone who's not like delved into all that is the Lord of the Rings things, but my partner would be really proud of me for making the connection that the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit go together. <laughs> get points with <laughs> points with him, um, but. You know, people aren't going to come running to to a place where that has also hurt them. And mm-hmm. so just trying to figure out ways to combat that. And um, and that sort of brings me to this idea of like why a podcast mm-hmm. is I for me in my heart of hearts, I want for people out there to be able to hear that some of the theology that they may have heard in the pulpits of their childhoods or in the pulpits of their adulthoods. Or from from people who call themselves Christians and might not be working as hard at following Jesus, that that there are other ways of thinking. Like I, w- I want to give people tools for reframing and um, and other perspectives. There's another way to look at things. So um, one of my big intersections, sacred intersections, is the the idea of of healing and and some of the things that Jesus says about healing and and how followers of Jesus are supposed to understand healing. So I have a lot of feelings about the times in the Bible when Jesus says your faith has made you well. Um, And I'm excited to talk about that. And I'm excited because like 
not to bury the lead or anything, but like you bring a very specific expertise to these conversations. Like just mention a little bit about your doctoral dissertation and what it was about and how it connected <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, I I can jump in here and I would like to just sit back and listen to you preach and talk all day as well. But um, but I guess we're doing this together. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I did end up writing a dissertation um, and the topic was religious abuse. So to give a little bit of background about how I got to that point and where that was coming from, my passion around this topic, um, I am a licensed counselor and have been a licensed counselor for I don't, we were probably going to do the math a long time, at least a couple decades, and <laughs> but not much more than that. And when I first thought about becoming a counselor, I imagined myself in a faith-based actually environment, which is just funny to think about now looking way back and, but did an internship in a faith-based mental health program and really loved it. It was a great, wonderful experience, but have wound up working in many different counseling environments since then. Um, did a little bit of private practice, um, have a small private practice now, and have um, worked in youth and family therapy for an agency. A lot of my work has been hospital-based, both in the psychiatric areas, so on inpatient floors, but in a lot of work in the emergency room, um, but also a lot of medically-based counseling and programs like cardiac rehab programs and cancer centers and things like that. Um, and one of my passions around just counseling in general is that counselors should be assessing for a spiritual worldview um, or a religious worldview. And that that's that not that we're doing pastoral counseling, but we just should know that cultural aspect and possible foundation of our clients. And so when, so that was always passionate about me that I, that's part of my intake is I see if that's there. And as I was talking about that, as getting to know my clients, I heard in every single setting would hear beautiful stories about ways people's faith and church and religious experience helped them cope, but also heard some really horrific stories of people who were devastated by things that happened in a religious setting or with a religious context um, and ways they were harmed or excluded or um, devalued. And that was always naturally heartbreaking, but it, it just kind of carried this dual reaction in me. So there was the counselor, but there was the, the Christian Paula who just had this urge to just defend God and just to, or yeah. to scream, that's not how every church is, or that's not how every Christian is. That's not how I am. Right. <laughs> We're not all terrible. Yeah. I really <laughs> just, that was out of all the kind of personal reactions I would have throughout my counseling career. That was always the one that was the loudest and the most just like, I need, I, yeah. but that's not my role as a counselor to defend God or to try to um, reframe anyone's experience for them. So, so I, I hope I did okay in most of those cases, just providing space for that. But I became really curious about these experiences. And that's so interesting to use the word healing, because that's, that's one of my passions too, about why I feel like I got into being a counselor was just, what aspect of healing can I help with? And that's always been my calling, driven by what I believe God has equipped me to do, but also led me to do. And 
so, so, so I didn't do a ton of um, work with this and just, just heard the stories, but it wasn't something that I really knew a lot about. And counselors not really equipped to deal with that. So after a time when I decided I wanted to teach, not only be a counselor, but teach and train new counselors, um, went back to add a PhD to my master's and you have to do a dissertation. And that almost prevented me from going back to get my PhD. Like, I really want to teach, but I don't know how I feel about this research thing. Because yeah, it's like a heck of a lot of work. It's a heck of a lot of work. Um, so my program was three full years and they always say, what and this is after my in addition to a master's degree just for people who are curious but one of the things they always say in choosing your dissertation topic is do something you're passionate about because you live and breathe it for all those three years or more if you take longer than that and even though i could have done studies on things that were a little more accessible um in like the the medical realms i just kept that was this idea of people who've been harmed and who've experienced hurt from the church was always the thing that interested me, that got me riled up the most, that I wanted to talk about with people. And I thought, okay, if I'm, and there's just not much research out there available to anyone, available to pastors, but especially not available to counselors. Mm -hmm. And so I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this um, in, this is, this is the topic I want to spend three years with. So, so I did, and it was a, beautiful, awful experience, you know, I mean, beautiful in, in hearing in, in the people were willing to share these stories and that I was able to hear a little bit about some of their healing journeys, but just heartbreakingly awful to, to hear the harm and the power of the sacred. And that's what I was really curious about was, you know, I've, I know a lot about trauma and abuse in general, but what happens when you throw in that sacred element, when you claim God is on your side when you're doing this and just how that amplifies those experiences. So, um, so I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about my dissertation yeah. <laughs> throughout the time here and some of those um, experiences that I heard, but that is, so that's kind of become my research agenda. I've continued to write and research on that topic and, and that's why I'm, I'm always excited to talk about it, <laughs> but it. why on a podcast, um, you touched on this a little bit, but do you have anything to add? Like, why are we doing, why are we not just talking about this with each other and in church? Why did we decide to do a podcast? Right. Well, so while you're talking about, while you were talking about um, what brought you to your dissertation topic, I can hear the words of one of my favorite professors from grad school, the Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon. May she rest in peace and power. Mm. Um, she would always say that, um, if you find something, uh, if you find something that you're passionate about and you look around for more information and that information is missing, hmm. that means that God's calling you to do something about oh, it. Oh, wow. Like if you can't find what there is. So like I could hear her words echoing in my head while you're talking about how there wasn't a lot of accessible information about religious abuse and everything. And I think that's also a little bit where we come to with this podcast is um, because we have looked for resources. Yeah. And, and wondered who's out there saying, you don't have to, you don't have to suffer. You don't, you don't have to think that you are unworthy or unloved, or you don't have to take this bad theology as the only theology that there is. And so 
I looked for something and I saw that there wasn't there. And I heard Dr. Cannon saying, um, this is your job now. Mm. Like you've seen the absence. And so now it's your responsibility to create something. And so that, um, thank you, Dr. Cannon. Thank you, Dr. Cannon. Um, anybody who is remotely connected to union Presbyterian seminary, um, will have their hand over their heart when they hear her name because she has just been a powerful influence on many of our lives. Yeah. Um, So that sounds, she sounds amazing. And that sounds just, that resonates with me so much too, just to hear that when you, when you see a vacuum and you look around and go, why is no one filling this? And then you realize that how you're being, either pulled or nudged or shoved <laughs> into <Right. that. laughs> Sometimes you say, oh, dang, that means I got to do something about this now. Someone should do something about this. <laughs> and here we are. Um, but yeah, I'm so glad that that she spoke those words to you and that um, that, that showed up for you in this particular format. Yeah. And so that leads into... I think that really connects to one of my passions about why I wanted to do a podcast in addition to talking about it, you know, in our personal conversations and at church and in my classes at where I teach um, is I really feel like the way that Christianity is perceived or maybe even, you know, if we think about it in those terms of those vacuums that, that there is not a vacuum of information about who Christians are and what Christianity is. But I, think that what is out there is not, I'll, I'll just say an incomplete picture. (laughs) And so I, I just feel like we have a responsibility to change the narrative sounds a little presumptuous, but at least add to the narrative um, of, of what, of who Jesus is, of who we as followers of Jesus are and what that means for for just, I mean, the perceptions of what that means for both people inside a church and outside a church. And so just being able to, to have, you know, where I couldn't say in a counseling room, that's not how all Christians are, (laughs) (laughs) or that's not who God is, um, to be able to have a platform where we can say those things, or at least provide some opportunities for you as our listeners to reflect on that and to think about how have I thought of God? How have I thought of church? How have I thought of those people who claim to follow him? And are there some other narratives out there um, that that are more welcoming, that are more affirming, that are more um, in line with the Christ that I follow? I love that. I love that. Well, and like, sometimes the loudest voices that are shouting about things aren't saying things that need to be heard quite so loudly or Mm. like, or if, or if we want to put it in like the metaphor of our sacred intersections, like we need to add a few more vehicles onto Mm. the road. Like Mm -hmm. we need to, to add a few more navigation tools to the vehicle or something, you know, like it doesn't get to be the big semi trucks that are like all the way down (laughs) the road. Like they don't get to be the only ones telling the story. Yeah. Um, Cause there are, um, I don't know, like some Priuses and hybrid vehicles and, uh, you know, luxury sedans. I'm not sure where I'm going with this metaphor, but like there are, there are other ways, other things yeah. to add to that 
narrative. Yeah. Um, there are other cars and there are other drivers. Yes. So. You're so much better at metaphors. Than I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's true, but I do love me a good metaphor. Um, yeah. Because if you think about the car or the package, you know, the package of Christianity, the package of churches, the marketing of churches. Um, I mean, the obvious ones are the big churches that are, you know, where you see televangelists and they're very seem to be financially driven and um and the marketing is all about numbers to get someone there to drive the finances or to drive other things um it, it's easy for that to become the main narrative or if if that's all you see as someone outside the church or if that's all you see as someone inside yeah. a particular church too so yeah. so there are lots of different packages of christianity but there's also Lots of different drivers of who represents that. Right. And sometimes it's not just the authority. Uh, you know, a pastor is not always the church or the the lead authority. It might be, I, I think sometimes people don't realize how much power they have when they're speaking. If, mm. if they've made themselves known to be a Christian, I'm, I'm having air quotes around that now. Um then, then people think about them and look at them yes, and respond to them in a certain way. And so that um, has a lot of pressure with it. Yeah. And that's, so that's where a lot of my research was really interested in that power of the sacred. And when you take that and just the power that comes from having any platform where people are listening to you willingly or not. Um, and those that take that, seriously and understand the power and influence and who are coming from a very authentic altruistic place as opposed to those who are really who the power is what draws them and i think the sacred contains so much power that it attracts people who are drawn to the power rather than to christ yeah yeah let's let lay it out there for everybody that ours is not a church that has a private jet <laughs> Are you sure we're not hiding it back there somewhere? There's no, there's no private jet. I don't have a team of sermon writers to do all my work for me. Um, yeah. Well, Although, and- if anybody wants to buy us one, let us know. Um, we might not take a jet, but, you know. Well, and that's honestly, Jill, one of the things that has attracted me to this church and to you as my spiritual leader is that you are you seem so genuinely to be coming from a place of wanting to help people understand what it means to follow Jesus in the world today and all the nuances and cracks of our life and the big places in our life. And I just don't get a sense from you that power means anything, that you actually (laughs) run from it as much as possible, that you take it seriously, you understand it, but it's not a motivating or driving factor for you. And that's critical for me as someone who wants to follow you because I want to be following the authenticity and not the need for power. Yeah. That, um, wow, that's beautiful. And um, I mean, I am, I speak from a huge place of privilege because we both do. I get to do a job that I absolutely love, Um, which does not mean that there are times when I don't get crazy annoyed by like 
the broken window that needs to be repaired or I was going to say careful Jill some of your people might be right or the fire alarm (laughs) that went off the last time we tried to record this Um, true story that happened it's a true story yeah um but um but one of the things that I love about the church with a big C is that we're doing this together um so much of um some of my graduate school learning um, was a lot about, you know, the ways that the church became an institution. Um, and so sometimes I feel like the narrative that we're fighting against is the narrative of the institution of the church hmm. and not the narrative of, of the act of following Jesus. Hmm. Um, and in the narrative of the institutional church, there is a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. There is power. There's someone who's in charge um, and, and part of being Presbyterian is like the words decent and in good order are on like every other page of our denominational constitution. Like I love a good list and being organized. Um, <laughs> She's a very strong J for those of you familiar with the Myers-Briggs. <laughs> I love a list. I love a schedule. Um, but, um, but like in the in the catholic church there's a belief that the priest or the pope is is literally genuinely closer to god mm-hmm. and all the power that comes in that and like um no thank you for that responsibility please like i love that there are folks in in our congregation who know more than i do about plenty of things so many things that would be so threatening to so many pastors but you embrace that so fully yeah well but because we're all doing this together we're following jesus together and um you know like one of my little pet peeves is um when a big group of people is standing around and um we jesus followers believe in grace and like say like saying not great like grace the theological concept but also like saying that prayer before the meal um and you know in in these trendy christian circles you know, people will be like, all right, who's going to say grace? And every once in a while, especially when I was working with youth, all of the sweet, beloved children of God, teenagers would like throw a finger up on their nose. <laughs> we and put like, our thumbs up. Nose goes. <laughs> um, and like any of my teenagers from any of the youth groups where I have pastored will tell you that the very next phrase that I would scream is prayer's not a punishment. Like mm. it's a privilege. And, and and we're all equipped for that. Like, I'm not any closer to God than you are. And I love that we're on this journey together and that it's not something where um, where there's not room for people to mess up along the mm. journey. Like you mentioned earlier about asking your parents, encouraging you to ask questions. Um, one of my favorite scriptures talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, mm-hmm. which in my childhood and upbringing was always translated um, to me, work out your salvation with questions and doubt and that it's okay to wonder like, well, what if, what if God didn't do these things? Or what if this story in the Bible isn't the literal word for word exactly thing as how it happened? And like, that's, that's a big part of that. And I feel like some of the places where um, religious abuse comes in or when that is restricted, mm. when it's, when, when there's power dynamics, when there's times when people are told 
you have to believe what I believe. You have to, I mean, we were just talking before we started recording about the enmity. You have to agree with me. Mm -hmm. You either agree with me or you disagree with me. And that there's not this spectrum. Mm -hmm. But there's such a spectrum. And God's big enough to handle the equation, to handle the questions. Reach. God, that's, God's not threatened by that. And authentic leaders seeking God aren't threatened by that. Um, But insecure systems are threatened by that. And those are the systems that I think breed the great potential for abuse. So there was something else you said that I feel like I should go ahead and lay out that I invite you to check me on and to hold me accountable as we go through this podcast journey, wherever this winds up leading us. You said several times we're on this journey together. And I kind of bristled at that because I'm already feeling in my mind, like, there's so many people that are on the same journey that I am. And I hear the judgment of myself in that. I hear me going, my brand, my marketing, my car is better than and my car on the road of sacred intersections, like that metaphorical car is better yeah. than yours. And that's not what I want to be doing. I want to assume good intent with everybody. I want to assume that we are, those of us who claim to be following Jesus are on the, the journey together. And yet I've, having heard these stories of people who've been harmed and stories of harmful theology just make me go, ah, I don't want to be associated with that. I want you to understand that you are wrong (laughs) and that you, that I want people to hear the air quotes here, right version of that. And I don't want to, I hear myself do, I feel myself doing that. I hear it even as I'm saying it, I don't, and I don't want this podcast to be that. I love, I'm so glad that you said that because I, I totally agree. Um, it makes me think of a story. Um, so when I was in my undergraduate, one of my uh, favorite professors uh, taught introduction to world religions and Islam and the religions of India. And I loved his classes. And uh, changed my major because I loved his class. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a religion major because I loved his classes so much. Um, and so, you know, there's a certain expectation you have when you go into a class called Introduction to Islam. Um, and he would always open his classes by saying who he is and where he was coming from. And what he would do, Dr. Boyd Wilson, I love you, sir. Um, <laughs> He would he would say all of these things about the respect that we're invited to have for these other religions and the ways in which we learn about other people and and their sacred uh, the the ways in which they hold the sacred and then he say but you need to know that I believe and he would write on the chalkboard because back when I was an undergrad <laughs> chalkboards were a thing that still got used um, but he would write on the chalkboard there is no thing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Uh, One of our favorite scriptures from Romans 8. And it was so awesome to hear Dr. Wilson say that because it was, it, it showed us where he was coming from, that we could, that, that he could teach us these beautiful things about Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and still believe in the depths of his core, that there's no thing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Mm. And so I saw this, this light that shone where he could believe what he believed 
not force it on anybody else, but then teach with respect and honor the way that other people thought about things. And, and there's this hope inside me that perhaps our community that will be built and, and our listeners that we hope will become part of our family will be able to disagree with us and yeah. say, like, it's great that you feel this certain way or this certain way, but I feel a different way. Or um, or maybe there's something that someone's struggling with that they've internalized or, or had poured on them for their whole lives, and they're having trouble reframing it or thinking about it differently. But that we all get to figure it out together and we get to go on that journey together without creating more enmity. Like yeah. Lord knows there is enough enmity in the world right now. Like mm. um, it's November 5th of 2020. Like anybody in the United States that's listening to this knows mm. what's going on right now as we wait for the outcome of our election that, that, a lot of people are a lot are really emotional about and invested in. So like there's enough enmity. We don't want to create that enmity. Yeah. And maybe our our conversations and our friendship and relationship and our experiences helps start the conversation um, in other people's lives. I hope so. That's a I think that's a beautiful hope and blessing for for what we hope to do on this journey. And I I, I just, that's beautiful. This beautiful story about your, your professor. And I hope, I, I just feel like I'm going to need some help with that. Like, I just feel myself um, really, uh, the, just the tendency to get angry at those who I feel like are twisting the sub, the um, title, subtitle of my dissertation was a twisting of the sacred. And yeah. that twisting, when I see that, just creates such a strong reaction in me to want to squash that. And yet everything in me that's a counselor and that tries to be a servant of God knows squashing doesn't solve problems. Sure. Yeah. And so, so that's why though, when I talk about it, I get really passionate. So, so yeah, I think that's something that I invite you to hold me accountable. I invite our listeners to hold me accountable. Yeah. Hold us we, accountable. For yeah. Sure. Cause we, cause we don't want to, we, we want this to be a place to, to draw people and not divide people yeah. more. Um, yeah. So we hope that we have people listening who, who disagree with us, but, or who maybe have just thought differently, but are open to hearing other things. That's what that questioning that my dad taught me was just, just figure it out for yourself, you know, yeah. ask questions until you figure it out for yourself. So, yeah. So this, go ahead. Well, and it's okay to be angry. Like, hmm. And maybe what we learn with each other, like you teach me every time we have a conversation, I learn something amazing <laughs> from you, um, for which I'm very grateful. And Ditto. maybe we teach each other and learn in this process that it's okay to be angry. At, like we could be, can I say pissed as hell? Is that okay to say on the podcast? I, I think um, we, can <laughs> we could be mad about bad theology and maybe not personalize it to the mm. people that are promoting the bad theology. Because uh, I believe in the South, we say bless their hearts <laughs> um, is the term that, you know, like I'm I, sometimes. Which is a head pat for those of you who maybe are outside of the Yeah, South. like it, there's a there's a genuine uh, lack of awareness 
of the harmfulness of the theology too. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. maybe there's an episode coming up or a topic coming up that has never even occurred to some people that Mm. it's, it's not the most helpful thing ever. Um, So I don't want to jump ahead too much, but like, are there topics? Are we've we've brainstormed a bunch of episodes? Are there ones that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I mean, I get excited about all of them, but um, but yeah, we've we've got some really cool stuff coming up here, people. So please stay with us. So I mean, one of the things that came up in my dissertation quite a bit was women who have been um, who are who've been in an abusive relationship and who have been who that abuse was justified through theology, but and, but a secondary abuse through the church of not supporting their safety, not supporting mm-hmm. their desire to leave that relationship um, and really protecting the abuser. And that's one of the things I get riled up about and that I would love for people to to hear another narrative about. Um, so that's one of my passions for sure. Um, let me jump. What What's one yeah. of yours that you're excited about that we will be talking about? Yeah, um, I mean, so I do get excited at the opportunity to talk about women. Um, you know, those of you that are, you know, maybe more familiar with certain aspects of scripture know that there are portions of scripture that may or may not allude to women and whether they should be speaking in church or not. <laughs> I um, can see why this would be a little bit personal. You know, you. <laughs> um, I might have some feelings about women in ministry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so I do, I get excited about talking about that, but I, I, I'm very passionate about the way that scripture is interpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, I love languages. Um, I was. Jill's a language nerd. Um, she yes. knows a lot of languages. We'll have a lot of nerd alerts. Um, and I'm blessed to have some really awesome folks in my life, um, who know even more than I do about that sounded so egotistical. <laughs> no, even more than I do. It's it's not it's um, not it's not cocky if it's true. Yeah, it's true. Own it. There, I know a little, and there are <laughs> folks who know a lot about languages. But I do get passionate about the way that things are translated. I loved and love to study the biblical Hebrew and the biblical Greek and some of the languages that. It was believed, you know, Aramaic, which is the dialect of Hebrew that um, is believed to have been Jesus' dialect. Thank you. <laughs> um, we'll have a lot of those. Uh, so I get really passionate when there's like a very blatant mistranslation. Um, so the most uh, more nerd alerts coming up. <laughs> um, so the most famous mistranslation of scripture for anyone that has ever traveled to Rome or is familiar with Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses. Do you know this story? I don't think I do. So there is uh, St. Peter in Chains is the cathedral in Rome, and there is a very beautiful altar with a sculpture of Moses in it. And in that sculpture, Moses has horns. Yeah, you have told me this story, but but tell me again. So, So like, it's a beautiful marble sculpture, Like that's older than like our whole entire country. And Moses has horns. And the reason is because when the Hebrew was translated into Latin, the word for halo calling Moses holy because he had a close relationship with God was mistranslated horns. 
So it was believed that Moses, like the greatest Jewish prophet of all time, had, well, it's kind of hysterical because <laughs> it's like a, you know, like he's one of the Ninja Turtles, Michelangelo. And, um, and so like, that's a huge mistranslation and it's like fun and we can laugh about it. And there was, you know, on the surface, we can think, well, like what harm does that do? But if we dig a little deeper and think about, well, Moses was a Jew. Moses has horns like a devil. So mm. does do are Jewish people evil? Mm. And like the ways, all the ways in all, which that. Yeah. That all the dominoes that can fall yeah. from that initial mistake. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of nerd alerts there. That's Sorry. cool. No, that's cool. And yeah, similar to how that one's really personal to how, how, how you're how women are how portrayed are really personal. Like I'm really excited to get to talk some about how mental illness is dealt with in churches and the perception of that and how that has been really abusive. Um, How pastors have been very abusive and how they've misconstrued things. And there's some scripture that I know we will use when we talk about that. Um, So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to talk about how forgiveness, the concept of forgiveness has been really twisted and used in very abusive ways. So, so that's a little taste of what you have coming up. Um, So we do hope you stick around. Um, Anything else to add before we start wrapping up? Just that we really like you all. (laughs) We already like you. We don't even know you yet. And we really like you. And we would love the chance to interact with you. Yes. Yes. So you just heard our first episode. We finished our first episode. Yay. (laughs) Yay. So we are so glad you joined us for this. And um, so please find us on social media by searching for Sacred Intersections Podcast. And follow us so that you can keep up with everything and hear when all the episodes are coming out and see funny pictures of us. And yeah. Subscribe. Leave a review. Um, let us know what's going on in your life. If you have sacred intersections you want us to talk about, we would love to hear from you. We're excited. Yep. Have a great week and safe travels through all your sacred intersections this week.